It's the Locked On Aggies Podcast, presented by Locked On Podcast Network, talking all things Texas A&M. Now, here's your host, Cole Thompson. Hey, howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat, talking all things Texas A&M. And one of the best parts about doing this job and doing this podcast and covering a sport is when your team wins. And A&M this entire weekend, all they did was just win, baby. That was it. You look in basketball, they got a big time win over Georgia inside Reed Arena. Right next door at Olsen Field at Bluebell Park, the Aggies baseball team started the season off right with a three-game sweep over Miami of Ohio, and there's some other things that we're going to go break down in a little bit. But before we begin the anything else, let's just look forward to what we do every single week. It is announcements. Make sure you're following us on social media at Locked On Aggies. At Locked On Aggies is the number one spot where you can get all your Aggies coverage. Also follow us at Aggies SI. All Aggies, part of Sports Illustrated and the Locked On Podcast Network, have partnered together to give you quality content surrounding all things Texas A&M. You can go check that out at si.com slash T-A-M-U. And if you want to follow me, give me a shout out. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you hate. Tell me what I need to work on, things that you also really maybe just need to hear for better purposes it's at mr cole thompson i'm cole thompson i am a mister that's my name don't wear it out at mr cole thompson at aggies si and at locked on aggies as we start the show today we started off with a little bit of controversy i want to talk a lot about baseball and i want to talk a little bit about basketball and how both teams were able to succeed this past weekend but when this is national attention news and AM is somehow represented in it, you're gonna have to talk about it, whether you really want to or not. And that is the situation now going on with Miles Garrett, the former Texas AM defensive end who went number one overall in the draft in 2017. Uh, everyone knows the story. We won't spend a lot of time on that. We'll spend a little bit more time on what happens after. Uh, but everyone knows week 14, uh, week 10, Miles Garrett and Mason Rudolph of the Pittsburgh Steelers got in an altercation where Garrett took off Rudolph's helmet and later struck him with the helmet. Uh, Then he was tackled to the ground by Marquise Pouncey. Garrett was suspended indefinitely for the remainder of the season, lost over a million dollars in game checks, and was fined $45,000 for the late hit. Uh, Rudolph was fined $50,000. And then you look at the other guys who were involved. Larry Ogunjobi was also fined and was suspended for one game while Pouncey was suspended for three games. After the season was over, Garrett and his representatives met with Commissioner Roger Goodell to allow him to rejoin the league. And following that, then there was an interview this past weekend. On Outside the Lines with ESPN reporter Mina Kimes, Garrett said that the reason for the hit was because of it was due to a racial slur that Rudolph said. Uh, He said that he called him a stupid N-word, and that ultimately led to the frustration between him and the helmet and the reaction. um, Rudolph came out hours later saying this report is not true. Um, None of this happened. This, that was never the case. Uh, I want this dropped, and I will not have you slander my name like that. And then earlier today on first take on ESPN, Pittsburgh Steelers coach Mike Tomlin came out 
and said all those reports were false. And if this was a racial thing due to the severity of the report, Garrett would have come clean earlier this season when it was announced. All right, that's a lot to break down. For starters, whenever race is involved in a sensitive subject like this, it's easy to look at one side and say that side is right. Unfortunately, this is also one of those ones where both have compelling arguments. One, when you look at the ramifications around the NFL and you look at everyone in the NFL, it's 78% African-American versus the 23% American uh, Caucasian. Black athletes will always support, I think, black athletes. And there's a bunch of white athletes that will support black athletes as well. The problem is, is that there's been no justification outside of Garrett that says that Rudolph called him that. This was never brought up until later on. This was brought up weeks after the 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 hit happened. It was brought up right after he was suspended that this was part of the reason why he doubled down on his statement when he was reinstated into the NFL this past weekend. You add all that together, that now is why this has become such a big story. Because if this was one of those cases where it was announced week one, when there was a microphone in his face and you go and, you know, the reporters are around him and you go, this is what happened. This is why I did what I did. And this is why I am trying to make my point. It's easier then to go, okay, now we know why Rudolph and Garrett got into the altercation. But you wait for time to surpass and you wait for moments to dissolve and you wait for all those things to kind of just die down and then bring it back up. One, you're not shutting the door on it. Because if if you announce that the night of the game, or or the next day even, when you released your statement. Because everyone forgets, Miles Garrett did release a statement the next day after the game. If if he was to release a statement then saying it, Mason Rudolph, I don't think, would be playing in the NFL right now. We saw what happened in 2011 to Riley Cooper, who did say the N-word and was caught on video saying it. When that's the case, you can look further into these kind of things and go, okay, now we're not going to play him until we know for a fact that this did not happen. But weeks go by and then you announce it. It's kind of, you're just upset that the other player didn't get a suspension. I also am kind of a little disappointed that ESPN has only heard one side of the story. There never once has been Mason Rudolph's side of the story come out. A lot of people are actually now believing Rudolph because of the ramifications of this incident. I've met Miles Garrett twice and I've talked to him, I think four or five times in radio or something along the lines of that, or in interview processes. He's a nice guy. He's a very humble player and he knows he has God given talents that have blessed his career that have allowed him to become an elite pass rusher at the NFL level. Garrett's done everything right that you want in a player. So this seems way out of line for him. And with the political background that we live in today, where a guy like Rudolph, Caucasian from middle America, uh, definitely, you know, more conservative side, 
uh, is a supporter of Donald Trump. Whether you like Trump, whether you hate Trump, wh- whatever. If you are against Trump, it works. Or anytime Trump is mentioned in the news, it becomes a story. So you add all that together, it would seem like because of the profiling against MAGA supporters, this would be something that Rudolph would say. I hope that this kind of just dies down because if I think Rudolph didn't say those things, but I also think that Garrett isn't a liar and it would really be horrible if the legacy of Miles Garrett, one of the nicest players I've met, one of the better players in the NFL is tarnished by saying a lie and putting his team and another player in a, he said, he said moment to where we don't really know what's going to happen. I really hope that this kind of just goes away. Because the legacy of Miles Garrett at College Station is one of the more herald legacies. It's not tarnished in any way. And I would hate to see his legacy tarnished because of something along the lines of this. And unfortunately, it's looking like this will end up going to court and it will become a bigger process. Speaking of processes, do we trust the process of Texas A&M baseball? 15-year manager Rob Childress is looking to go back to Omaha, and he started the year off right. We'll be breaking down that in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. And guys, I have a quick question for you. Are you listening to shows on the Locked On Podcast Network? If you are, congratulations. You're doing your part and being smart. If you're not... Why don't I knock some sense into you? Guys, we have over two dozen college sports shows ready for your listening ears, including Locked on SEC and the Locked on College Football Network. Plus, we have a ton of other channels that include Fantasy, MLB, NHL, NBA, and of course, the NFL with all offseason news. You're going to want to check out all of their great content at LockedOnPodcast.com. Speaking back to baseball, Texas A&M is looking to be a top contender in the diamond this year thanks to really strong pitching from a season ago they're looking to be a legitimate contender i think in the sec on top of hopefully a chance to go to omaha well they started their direction off right this past weekend with a three game sweep over the miami of ohio red hawks when you look at the numbers all the way across the board it was dominant a&m from the pitching to the hitting to the scoring, the base running, the fielding from players. Everything combined just really brought it to AM's potential of what they can be this year out on the diamond. Let's start off by talking about the new transfer third baseman, Logan Satori, what he was able to do in his first at-bat, or I guess really first series in Bluebell Park, is pretty remarkable. He went 4 for 10 on the weekend. Two home runs, both coming in the first inning, both on solo shots. Uh, he really was the driving force in both games that allowed him to really help AM get the 9-2 victory over Miami of Ohio on Saturday and then a 6-2 victory over Miami of Ohio on Sunday. Uh, he also did really well defensively from what everything that I saw. Good glove placement, uh, solid formation, you know, running around the bags, good vision. Made a couple of really nice snags on ground outs. Uh, then he would go send them right over to first baseman Hunter Coleman. He also had a good game. Uh, in the game three, he hit a two-run bomb to give the Aggies a 3 nothing lead with two outs. Uh, 
Then you look at Zach DeLoke and Will Frizzell, who would combine for a 12 of 21 weekend. I believe that they each had three RBIs. DeLoke hit a solo shot in the seventh inning of yesterday's game. Overall, this was a very good game. Here's what uh, DeLoke said after the game. We're grinders. We're competitive. The one word I would say describes us is competitive. We grinded out a lot of at-bats today and throughout the weekend. Being able to manufacture runs without even putting the ball in play is huge plus for us to see. From our base running, our defense, and our pitching, everything was hitting on all cylinders today. One thing that you really got to like about this club is that they're relying so much on their bats, which is really dominant for any team that wants to contend in the NCAA this year. There's a ton of great teams. You always look at the big ones such as, you know, I think Louisville and Vanderbilt and Arkansas. A&M is almost at that level. They're not there yet, but they have the ability to shine in moments like this where against smaller clubs, they can probably pick up the pace and maybe earn a couple more reps. But the, of course, the biggest thing that's always going to happen for AM and Rob Childress knows this and this club knows this. And I think that it's pretty evident that this is the way you win at AM. It's by pitching. Both years in 2011 and 2017 that AM went to the big games, it was because of strong pitching performances from their starters. Uh, now it's just the exact same thing. You know, you look at what Corbin Martin did in 2017, what Michael Waka did in 2011. Now you're going to need your three guys to really step up and do their job. And if this is a sign for the future of the program, this three-game series showed why A&M might have the best rotation in the SEC. You look at left-hander Asa Lacey, he's going to be probably considered for the Golden Spikes Award I would say he'd be a finalist the way he was pitching earlier this week. You look at his numbers. He led the team to a 17-1 victory. He only allowed one run off six innings and struck out eight batters. I think he only gave up three hits as well. Then you have uh, Chandler Jawazic, who pitched six innings, struck out seven, gave up one earned run in yesterday's game. But the one guy that nobody really wants to talk about that probably has been the most developed is the right-hander Christian Roa. He had six super strong innings. He struck out a career-high 12 batters and only allowed two runs during that span in six innings. He led them to a 9-2 lead. Everything that you see from this club, when your weakest pitcher has his best game, that's a really good sign of what direction your team is trending in. I do believe that AM has exactly what it's going to take to make a run for probably Omaha this year. And the biggest thing is you look at all these other teams who are talented inside of baseball, inside of the SEC. Let's just go with that in general. This is going to be a lot of slugfest ball. And you may see a lot more teams finish with average records this year because of how depth, you know, depth the SEC is. The number two team is Florida. The number four team is Vanderbilt. The number seven team is Arkansas. The number eight team is Auburn. The number 10 team is Mississippi State. The number five team, which I forgot to mention, is Georgia. The number 11 team is LSU. And the number 17 team is Ole Miss. They're all ahead of AM, who comes in at the number 20 spot. That just shows how much depth there is on this year. 
So A&M, I do think, has to start their season off really strong if they want to be in contention for baseball and for a chance at, I would say, the record of the SEC title to win it down in Hoover this year. Because of everything that you see, it's going to be a competitive baseball. So hopefully they'll be able to get a big-time win on Tuesday night over Stephen F. Austin. Wednesday they play Prairie View A&M as another kind of warm-up game. And then they go and they face... Army on a three-game series starting Friday at Bluebell Park. If they can start the season 8-0, they're in really good hands. And depending on how, you know, Roa and Lacey and Joswiak pitch, those are all things that are going to play in A&M's favor, without a doubt. There's not even a question on that. Speaking of without a doubt, it was without a doubt the likes of Emmanuel Miller and the success of Texas A&M basketball that they were able to get a win. How did they get it? Stay tuned. We'll be breaking that down in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, remember, it's not too late to always follow us on social media. You can check us out at Locked On Aggies at Aggies SI. And of course, if you want to follow me, let me know what I'm doing right. Let me know what I suck at. Let me know what I need to improve on. It's at Mr. Cole Thompson. Plain and simple. I'm a mister. My name is Cole Thompson. That's my name. Don't wear it out. At Mr. Cole Thompson, at Aggies SI, and at Locked On Aggies. Going back to the basketball for a little bit, this past weekend, AM was able to get a big-time win over Georgia. Georgia now goes to 2-10 in SEC play, while the Aggies go back to 500, both in SEC play and also on the regular season. A lot of people are focusing in on Georgia freshman Anthony Edwards, and that's a very understandable statement because of what he's going to be able to do at the next level. Probably going to be either a first or number two pick. Even AM's head coach Buzz Williams said, although he's never worked in the NBA, he knows NBA talent. There's no way he's falling past number three. But Texas AM's Emmanuel Miller is a name you got to watch out for if you're looking at freshmen. Thanks to his career high 21 point game, uh, and they were able to wipe out a 12 point deficit in the second half, AM was able to come back and defeat Tom Crean's Bulldogs 74 to 69. Uh, game was tied up at 59 apiece with 435, 432 left in the game before AM was able to outscore the Aggies 15 to 10, outscore the Bulldogs 15 to 10 uh, for the rest of the way. Miller scored 17 of his 21 points in the second half, and I think he actually scored 14 of those 17 in the final 10 minutes. That just shows how big of a game he had. He also had his second career double double on the year. One thing that you have to be impressed with also is the way AM's defense came to play against the potential number one overall pick in the NBA draft next season. He only scored six points and was two of seven in shooting from the field goal range. He hasn't shot anything less than 12 points a game in every other contest besides one at the start of the year where he also shot six points. That was a season low for him. After the game, Miller and Quentin Jackson both said that the reason why they were so focused in on pressuring Edwards is because of what happened a week, two weeks prior. When they went up to Athens, Edwards had his second double-double, and he didn't score a single point in the first 10 minutes of the game. Once he got that first field goal, it was the Edwards show. I, I mean, there's really no other way to put it. 29 points, 15 rebounds, 
career high numbers against uh, in points and rebounds on the day. Double double, his second of the season. AM gets out wiped, ripped apart. And that's just the way to put it. But this time around, you are now looking at what they were able to do. You know, they've pretty much shut down the nation's best player. And Miller said after the game, we came in with a chip on our shoulder, knowing what he did to us last game. They wanted to make sure that they did not allow him to come off with multiple points in the game. Looking ahead at AM's schedule, they have a game this upcoming week at Alabama on Wednesday before they return home to Reed Arena against Mississippi State. They'll be home for the next two games after that. They'll face number 10, Kentucky, then now unranked LSU, who dropped a game to Alabama, actually. And then they'll be at Auburn before they come home for the season finale against Arkansas. We kind of broke this down a little bit before, but with a win over Georgia, maybe that gives the team the hype it needs to succeed moving forward. Mainly because if you're looking at the way they've been playing, offensively they've looked better in their past two games. Even though one was a loss to Florida, they looked offensively better. And also... They're more balanced now, I think being accustomed and adjusted to Buzz's system. They now know exactly what plays they're going to run. Apparently, there's no longer any more questions on what else is there to do. You know what's going to happen. You understand what is you know the process and where things are going. It just looks like this A&M team, if they played the way they did against Georgia, could get a couple more wins. I don't see them beating Kentucky or Auburn or even Arkansas. Alabama, I could. If they play the way they played against Georgia, they will give Alabama a run for the money. Even though Alabama's looked really good in the past couple weeks. Mississippi State with Ben Howland, same thing. I think that they can beat Mississippi State, especially with it being a home game. And LSU at LSU. They had Will Wade's team on the ropes all season. They had them on the ropes going into overtime. They probably should have beaten the Tigers. And unfortunately, they didn't, but that was not their fault. That was because of just an incident that occurred on the field with their own staff. I mean, there's no way you have five minutes and you can't stop them. They lost the game to themselves more so than LSU won that game. I could see them now going for redemption, kind of like they did against Georgia. So, three wins, four and three to end their final seven games of the year. That would not be a bad look. And it definitely would show more so Buzz was 100% the right move to bring back to College Station. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Locked on Aggies, at Aggies SI, and at Mr. Cole Thompson. Tomorrow, we will be breaking down some more baseball, a little bit more about the Aggies in the XFL. Maybe do some free agent talk with some of the former AM players who are now going to hit the market and a couple of other things just surrounding AM. So make sure you tune in tomorrow. We'll see you then. And remember, take them y'all. This has been Locked on Aggies. Presented by the Locked On Podcast Network.